Welcome to the Golf Life Alberta podcast with your hosts, Leo bathgate Nathan and Darren Krause. Hey everybody, welcome to the Golf Life Alberta podcast, season one, episode 17. I am your host, Leah Bathgate-Snethen, here with my co-host, Darren Krause. Hey, Darren. Hey, Leah. How are things this week? Oh, pretty fantastic. Very busy. Looking forward mm-hmm. to a little bit of a tournament break here coming up. How about you? Uh, yeah, I was busy this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get out to the Wolf Creek Central Alberta Major. But, you know, some sometimes you've got bigger things on your plate. My oldest son, Jake, he had turned 18 earlier this year, and this weekend was his high school graduation. He lives out in Vulcan, so we were back and forth a couple of days. One night it was the cap and gown. The next night it was the dinner. We did a little bit of drinking in between and stuff like that. So um, all in all, it was really busy, but a really enjoyable weekend. I can't believe my my firstborn is headed off to college this fall at University of Lethbridge. That's kind of crazy. That's awesome. I think that that makes you officially old now. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? You're going to start dropping the insults this early in the podcast. We're only at 1 minute 17 seconds, Leah. Yeah, well, I I don't think that I don't think anyone expects anything less than that. Come on. <laughs> Probably not. But Leah, you had a really busy week. I know that our podcast recording was all, our schedule was all off because you were traveling and away and then you had the tournament this weekend. Uh, why don't you tell me about how things went last week for you? Oh boy. That's part of the reason I'm tired. I'm kind of living on Miami time, sort of. I don't even feel like Mm -hmm. I had a chance to acclimate to Miami weather or time or anything like that. But yeah, I had some Callaway meetings in Miami all week from, well, flew all day Monday and flew all day Friday. We got some uh, top golf in, which was cool. I've never been there before, so that was pretty neat. And the the flying caused some serious uh, <laughs> swelling issues. I had the worst cankles ever. <laughs> I'm happy to report that my ankles have returned and I can see my ankle bones again. But you you man. can check those pictures out on Facebook for those of you who are listening. And I actually I actually thought it was a full full-blown leg like a thigh knee bone area but in fact was a foot and an ankle (laughs) yeah it it was pretty bad so um actually I just I just went to the post office and my aunt well Cody's aunt had sent me some compression socks after seeing those pictures because we are actually flying out to Victoria this weekend for a little family golf trip as well so she didn't want the swelling to happen again Mm -hmm. and yeah we got a little USA road trip coming up as soon as we get home from Victoria it's just non-stop non-stop travel but of course you did have the wolf creek central alberta major this weekend again i wasn't there uh, i regret not being able to go but uh, just like phil did for his daughter's graduation you know back in the u.s <laughs> open i think a couple of years ago i felt it was appropriate for me to go to my son's graduation as well so tell us how it went oh man it was awesome it was uh we played the Lynx course on the mm-hmm. saturday And we were all a little concerned about the weather forecast, especially the people coming up from Calgary. Apparently, it was just an absolute monsoon in Calgary on Saturday morning. So I'm getting text messages and emails saying, oh, my God, what is the weather like in Pinoca? Are we canceled? And I'm sitting there like, "What what is wrong with all you people? Like, why are you freaking out? Like, it's not it's like drizzling here, but... 
I guess the monsoon was even like north of Red Deer. So we must have just been on the edge of it. And we were lucky for the most part. We did end up with a weather delay. The C and D flighters had to get pulled off the course for about 45 minutes to an hour. It was very intense uh, for a little while there, but they were able to finish. And Sunday was hot and muggy and ended up getting a little windier later in the day. Uh, So it was true Lynx golf all weekend long, which was pretty awesome when you're at Wolf Creek. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was was really actually kind of concerned about the, the weather myself because... I mean, when people are talking about monsoon, they are not kidding. It, like, I can't believe. I felt like I was in like a a winter weekend in Vancouver. It was raining, just big drops constantly for like about three and a half hours. I, I mean, I was thinking there's no way they're going to be able to golf if the weather is like that. And you said it was like that for a bit, but I mean, you for the most part caught just the north side of the storm, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were very lucky. We had some some good scores shot out there as well. Kind of funny because people who have been struggling for a little while seem to have found their game. So their scores appear to be in the wrong flight. <laughs> but other other than that, you know what? They haven't shot scores like that in quite some time. So it was pretty awesome to see their games finally come around for them. Um, in the champ flight, uh, we actually had... Mitts shooting only one over on oh, wow. Saturday, uh, while Mark Godry was two over, and then they kind of flipped it on Sunday, and Mark ended up beating both Mitts and Tim Boston, who is a member at Wolf Creek, by just one stroke, with a two-day total of ten over in the Champ flight. Oh wow, those are good. That, that's a good score. Yeah, very very good golf in the A flight. We ended up. Uh, there was somebody that came in actually with a seventy eight. It was the only A flighter who broke eighty on day one, um, and actually it was his first time. Brett Cooper playing an event with us, so oh, wow. that was pretty awesome to see that. You know, not everyone always gets the first tournament jitters. Yeah, I was um, just going to say, no first tournament jitters there. Exactly. Um, he was he was solid. That was a 78 with a triple bogey on number nine on that long par five. So wow. very impressive score. Yeah. Sunday didn't go quite as well for him, but we had Mike Watson and Cody Snethen both breaking 80 on Sunday from the tips. I made the, the A and B flight also play the tips on Sunday. They mm. were not very happy with me, but... <laughs> I figured why not challenge them. We're at Wolf Creek. Cody ended up shooting a 79 to lock himself into solo second in the A flight. And Mike Watson shot a 76 to win by seven strokes in the A flight. Looks like uh, Cody's game is rounding back into form. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a long time coming, but it's nice to see him do that well in the A flight because he kind of was he was starting to believe he was B flight material after that. <laughs> the next uh, we have B flight, so we ended up having a couple really good scores come in the first date. Matt Lamar, L- Lamar, sorry, <clears throat> from Morinville came in with an eighty two on Saturday, uh, which was so awesome to see. He's played a few tournaments and he's been struggling with those first tournament jitters, um, so it was really good to see him shoot a score that he knows he's capable of shooting. Again, Sunday, just kind of the wind came up and a bunch of stuff happens. And it's hard in a major to string together two really, really good rounds. So um, he fell back a little bit in the field, but we did end up with a couple of 84s on Sunday. 
Uh, one was Mark Tugis, who is from Fort Saskatchewan. It was also his first tournament with us. He ended up solo third. And Clem Lazo had a two-day total of 171, winning by two strokes in the B flight. So 87-84. I wouldn't call those A flight scores yet. I know everyone's kind of chomping at the bit to get him back into the A flight, but well, I mean that is a couple know. of uh, that is a couple of wins, maybe maybe even three this year for Clem, Two. isn't it already? Two. That's his second. Oh yeah, yeah. and he won he won one in a playoff over Cody, right? Yeah, and that was with an eighty. Those are both eighty seven. So that wasn't even like they were beautiful B flight scores at the time either. So. All right, well, definitely got to keep an eye on that Clem Luzo guy. Yeah, we're we're watching him, don't you worry. <laughs> uh, in the C flight, we ended up having an amazing first round from, um, it was only his second tournament with us, Justin Heeks is his name. He shot an 84 in the first round. C flight, actually best score on Sunday, we had a tie at 90, which typical kind of C flight score, especially on that old course. It's it's target golf. It's tough. These mm-hmm. are kind of the, the 12 to 15 handicappers. So uh, that's a good score for them. And Justin was one of those 90s. So he was able to hold on to first place on day two, winning by five strokes with his two day total of 174. And in the D flight, should have been a C flighter. We were all saying that. But to be fair he has not been shooting like this he actually he was in an accident last year and really hurt his shoulder and his elbow also just had his club stolen right out of his garage um yeah at the beginning of the season so it's taken him a little while to get used to his new clubs that insurance was able to cover luckily uh Mm -hmm. but maurice thompson moving back up into the sea flight after shooting an 81 and an 89 (laughs) Yeah, he had a 12-stroke lead after the first day. That's some uh, that's some solid D-flight score in there, Maurice. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine the sandbagging comments that were coming out there. So, <laughs> uh, But like I was telling everyone, he hasn't broken 90 in a tournament in, in quite some time. So it was awesome, like I said, to see his game come around to where it is. And he's pumped. He's pumped to go to the C-flight. Don't you worry. He wants to go there. Mm-hmm. So a uh, two-day total of 170 with uh, the win from Maurice Thompson. So congratulations. That's awesome. And now we've got uh, we've got a little bit of a break. I know one of the great things about the Alberta Golf Tour throughout the summer, Leah, is that we don't have tournaments over the long weekend. So everybody gets to go do their thing over the long weekend. So we have a little bit of a break here, but what comes up after that? So after that, we've got the Stampede Shootout on July 7th. It's a Saturday. That'll be a morning start at Highwood in nice. High River. And then on the Monday after that, July 9th, we are at Redwood Meadows. Bright and, Creek, and people also can still get start. into those? They can still get into them. Um, Highwood is looking for some final numbers. We have pretty low numbers on that one at the moment. So I'm actually considering, unless we get a big influx of registrants, um, maybe doing a little non-flighted net Stableford type of format for oh, that okay. one and have everybody compete against everybody. I like to mix it up every now and then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but for those of you who haven't ever played out at Highwood, I know it's a little bit further south. I mean, it's a... It's about a good 40 minutes from from Calgary, maybe 45 minutes from Calgary. But it's a beautiful track out there. It is so well-maintained. It, it, although it's not Kananaskis, it did suffer a great deal uh, in the 2013 flood as well. But they've done a great job 
redoing it and I know that they had to do to redo it back I believe it was in 2000 I'm going to say 2005 or yeah 2005 flood as well they had a couple of holes so I mean despite the fact that it's been hit by flood twice in the past it's still in great shape and they do a really great job out there so if you get a chance to sign up and you can spend some time to come out to Highwood, I would certainly I would certainly encourage it. Absolutely. And they have been so pumped about doing an event out there. And I kind of warned them. I, I said, and, and this is kind of my call out to everybody in southern Alberta, south of Calgary. Mm-hmm. If, if you want us to have some more events out there, we need to see your support at these events because... Anytime I have gone south of Dunbo Road, so, you know, I'm always fine with Heritage Point. I'm always fine with, you know, Cottonwood. But the second I go south of Dunbo Road, our numbers plummet. It makes it tough for me to justify having an event any further south than Dunbo Road. But Highwood was so pumped up about hosting us. I, I kind of pre-warned them what what it's been like in the past. So yeah. So they know and our numbers are in fact where I thought they would be. But if you want us to get further south into Alberta, we would need to see your support at these southern Alberta events so that we can have some more down there. And before you all get too carried away with the big rush, um, I go into the southern Alberta events. Those are those are pretty much the only ones I've, I've won in the past is anything south of Calgary. So, um, you know, it's usually because the field is a little bit thinner, too. So, um, you know, so are I you are you calling a win at Highwood already? <laughs> no, I actually haven't played there uh, in a while. So um, I'm not sure if you brought it out to Darcy Ranch. Geez, I'd, I'd call a win right now there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, looking forward to those tournaments and uh, hopefully we see more of you guys out there. For sure. All right, Leah, I know, as you had mentioned, it was a really busy weekend for you. Uh, I did have plenty of time to watch golf, even though it was fairly busy for me. There was some downtime, and I was able to catch the Travelers Insurance. You know, it's always the tournament after the U.S. Open. Uh, Did you get a chance to watch any of it at all? We always PVR golf, and then it's just a matter of what time we actually get home on whether or not we watch any of it. So did watch a few holes of the final round on Sunday. It was like I I always thought of Paul Casey as that dude with steely nerves, you know, uh, a a tough Englishman. But no, I mean, I thought he was one of those guys, right? That, you know, you just totally unflappable. But I've never seen Paul Casey fall apart like that on the last three holes. Uh, Now, with that said, of course, the winner, Bubba Watson... I mean, dude was lights out. He was absolutely lights out in that final round. He shot a 63. Interesting, it wasn't the best round because I believe that Stuart Sink shot a 62 in the final round. To shoot a 63 for Bubba Watson, uh, he became the first three-time winner this year on the PGA Tour. And, you know, when they put that stat up on the TV, Leah, I had no idea that Bubba had already won three tournaments. It's like Bubba's just, he just wins, but he still maybe he just doesn't get the respect that he deserves um for for being such a consistent player on the tour well i mean he is voted to be one of if not the least liked person on tour so i can see how that would happen <laughs> yeah yeah i mean bad. and you picked paul casey uh for the masters or something didn't you back no in... no i actually picked him at oh yeah i did pick him for the masters you're right i got us open and masters 
Um, but yeah, Paul Casey. So I'm um, a couple of weeks off, but it's okay. I mean, That's okay. He's, he's but put I mean, his game he's... together. And he had some bad breaks, like the one that I watched where beautiful tee shot and this <laughs> this little layup, and he ends up right on a freaking tree trunk in the middle of the fairway, and I was like, really, really, yeah, that one was... of those rounds. That was really unfortunate. And yes, he did get some bad breaks, but he also did, you know, put a couple in the sand trap. He made a couple of, uh, I think, bad bad chip shots there on uh, on 14 and 15 that really didn't get him too close. He was like 10, 12 feet away. And then on, on 18, I know what he was trying to do. Uh, most of the guys were playing iron off the tee on 18 just to get into position for an easy shot into the green. But I think he probably tried to play three wood, maybe even driver to wrap it right around the corner. So he had a really short shot in because he had to birdie in order to in order to stay in it. What does he do? He overcuts it into the pond. So uh-huh. I mean, when <clears throat> when it's on the line, you can't you can't make that kind of mistake at that level because. Uh, I mean, you got no chance of winning. That's fair. And the other uh, comments that I was kind of reading about is one of my favorite topics to talk about, pace of play. We had a really, really slow player and like perpetually every tournament, he has been so slow. And I I think we may have talked about him before. Maybe he did this before we started the podcast, but JB Holmes Mm is so slow do you think maybe that affected paul casey's performance yeah it did in fact the golf commentators were mentioning that that both um paul casey and i can't remember who his playing partner was uh russell henley was it russell henley yeah i think so both of them really like to play fast golf and they were behind jb holmes and I mean, they were waiting on almost every hole on the back nine. We're not talking like, you know, a typical professional wait of three or four minutes. We're talking like five, seven, eight minutes to wait in between shots for these guys. So that I, I think it probably did have a lot to do with, with Paul Casey and probably getting a little bit frustrated. And then you take that and you compound it with, you know, some of the shots that he was making or not making the frustration of being behind the tree. And yeah, it, it probably did play uh, uh, a pretty big factor in him falling off the lead there. So at what point, I mean, you know, the way that I deal with Mm -hmm. pace of play issues, actually (laughs) on Saturday, I had my first little pace of play freak out of the year. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, um, I think most people by now know that once I send out all the groups off one and and I've announced everybody off the first tee, I go straight to the ninth green because usually Mm -hmm. the first group is starting to come around at that point. I have almost never had to leave my station on the ninth green. But the group behind was so far behind they weren't even on the ninth tee box and this is a 600 yard par five they're not even on the tee box when the group ahead of them has walked off the green i'm not a happy camper i don't even see them on eight green at this point no way yeah yeah so mama bear was not super happy No, Mama, Mama Bear drove up, and I have to say, and and I've I've talked to all the players, so like no hard feelings, no grudges or anything. We've had our discussions, but you know, I as I watched them, finally, you know, by the time it it took me to finally drive all the way up this long hole, they're putting out on eight green. It's a really short, reachable par four. 
still no excuse for being as slow as, as they were there. <clears throat> and and I watch them start to walk off. And I get so frustrated because there is literally no urgency in anybody's step to get the hell off the green into the next tee box. They're just <laughs> casually strolling off. Well, let me clean my wedge. I'll just, here, I'll put my putter here. Like, no, if you're that far behind, get the hell off the green, get to the next tee box, and don't clean your clubs until you need to use them next time. I don't want to see that casual strolling when someone is that far behind ever. And at what point is the USGA or PGA Tour, whoever it is that issues these penalties, going to actually step up and penalize somebody like J.B. Holmes. I can't tell you the number of people that I've had to penalize. And sometimes it's the same people I have to penalize over and over and over and over again because they're just perpetually slow players or they end up in perpetually slow groups or whatever it is. There's there's always a reason for it. But I've even penalized people. Why can't they? Yeah, you know, it's a tough one. Uh, I think you should be able to penalize people because, I mean, we're still playing on public tracks and these guys want to get rack rate players out on their courses. But if we're holding things up, I mean, you know, it might delay the rest of things. Um, On the PGA Tour or on the professional tour, gosh, you know, I'm certainly not going to make any excuses for it. But these guys are playing for millions of dollars and again not that that's an excuse but they're playing for millions of dollars and i'm just wondering if they're a little bit reluctant when a guy especially if he's in the lead like jb holmes if jb holmes had been blowing up and doing a plus three plus four round then i would say that they would probably have said look jb you need to pick things up you know you're not in the hunt anymore but if if JB, which he was up until the last two holes, he was in the hunt, uh, you know, it's I, I, I think they're really reluctant to do it, Leah, because it it could frustrate players to the point, well, dudes, I'm sitting out here, I'm playing for for millions of dollars, um, I'm playing for a living here, and you're not giving me the time that I need to play golf. Yeah, but they have 45 seconds to hit the shot. Everybody should have the same amount of time, and it's not an excuse because if one player can play to appropriate pace of play standards, then everyone should be held to the same standards. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's okay or acceptable for a player to decide that they get to take twice as long as another player. Right. Uh -uh. Like, no. Here's the interesting thing from the recreational perspective. Um, if you talk about guys who want to get their handicap down from, let's say, a 15 to a 10, you know, maybe even sub 10, what's the one thing that they're learning if they're going to lessons? Oh, you gotta ha- you, you got to have a pre-shot routine. Okay, well, guy puts together his pre-shot routine, stands behind the ball, you know, eyes up, what his target line is. Maybe takes a quick practice swing, you know, steps up to the ball, gets a good feel for it, waggles a bit to release the tension, looks up at the target again, takes his club back to get the right plane. All of a sudden, we're already at 30 to 45 seconds, maybe to a minute. Well, gosh, Leah, what the hell happens if if the wind gust blows? Oh, I better take an eight iron. Nothing pisses me off more than watching something like that. And actually, well, I've considered... Okay, well, but, but that's me, Leah. That, that's me. I have a pre-shot routine. And I, I'm not saying it's, it's extensively long, but that's what I do 
And I would say it's probably a good 20 to 30 seconds. People need to follow the rules of golf. You have 45 seconds to hit your shot. So if you're going to step off because a gust of wind blows, then you need to work that into your pre-shot routine and make sure that it is at least less than half of 45 seconds. So did you see, when was it? The, a couple weeks ago, the European Tour had a shot clock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love that. They had a shot clock and like there were some guys that were maybe even just one second over. You get a penalty the second you're over. I would love nothing more than to have the manpower to do that at my events. Oh my good <laughs> God, I would love that. <laughs> well, well, here's the good thing. Uh, and I think for the most part, this is the case uh, on the Alberta Golf Tour, Leah. Whenever we feel like, at least in all the groups that I've been in, whenever we feel like we are getting a little bit behind, immediately the first thing we do is we play ready golf. The second thing we do is we drop one guy off at his ball or one girl off at their ball and we drive to our ball. So we're we're always, you know, Can I ask a question though? That stuff for the most part. What? Why is that not always the way that you play? Um, that should think... always be the way that you're playing, ready golf. Yeah, see we don't always play ready golf because, you know, there's the unwritten rule of, you know, you don't ever want to dishonor a birdie. So No, you know, sure. That's like that birdie. is the literally the only thing that I can see happening. Right. But other than that, you should always, if you're ready, if some guy's looking for his ball on the other side of the fairway and he's a little bit ahead of you or a little bit behind you, who cares? You're in the middle of the fairway. You go to your ball, hit your shot. You should always be playing ready golf. You should always be dropping off your cart partner at their ball and going to yours, making sure they've got whatever clubs they need. Like, mm -hmm. it drives me insane when people think they need to play like the PGA Tour and, oh, well, you're away, you're away. Even on the putting green, play ready golf at all all times because you know, you're not going to have pace issues it might be worth us you know dedicating a show to some of the most common problems that that steal time away from a player's game that could help people get to that four to four and a half hour round and not affect how they're playing or, or how they're feeling about their game I, th I think that'd be pretty valuable because I know that I, you have a lot of golf experience, especially running tournaments and things that, that people can do, just small things. I know that, honestly, Leah, one of the things, and if my dad listens to this, he's probably never going to do it again. But every single time, like when we pick up our clubs, you know, after we go to a hole, he'll count to make sure that he has all of his clubs. He'll put all of the sleeves on all of his clubs. And he won't get in the cart until we do that. And I'm sitting there going, for Pete's sake, man. Like, <laughs> like just put, put your club covers in the back of the cart and put them on at the end of the game. Or, yeah. you know yeah. what, just don't forget your clubs or whatever case may be but yeah anyways we should do that but we should also I agree move on to the LPGA otherwise we're going to end up with another 45 to 50 minute podcast <laughs> here um really quickly on the LPGA uh NASA Hatuoka wins by six shots at the Walmart Northwest Arkansas LPGA event and I think like I wanted to mention it this weekend Number one, because I did mention last week about the U.S. Open and how some of these, I enjoy seeing the relatively crappy scores because there are scores like these. Hatuoka went 64, 65, 63. Now, wow. I mean, that is, that's probably like 8 under, 7 under, 9 under. 
So she was she was 20, 22, 23 under, I think, at the end of the tournament. And I'm just like, the golf course is playing a little bit too easy if you're winning with those kinds of scores. I can get three, four under, but I, I just wanted to bring it up because A, it is an impressive showing. That's a lot of birdies on the, or eagles on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also does kind of reinforce that, you know, maybe we should be making these courses a little bit tougher for them to play. And, you know, that's where I kind of go to the U.S. Open whole argument about let's make them a little bit tougher. So when they do miss shots, they have to pay the price. That's fair. I still don't think it should be a circus like the U.S. Open, but (laughs) (laughs) I've already been over that. (laughs) And next up, we have Chip Shots brought to you by Callaway Golf. Uh, a lot of good ones this week. Um, Wes Heffernan wins his sixth Alberta Open title at River Spirit. Of course, we were at River Spirit uh, just a couple of weeks back. That day that we had all four seasons out on the golf course. Uh, congratulations, Wes. Also this weekend, Lethbridge out of Paradise Canyon. They hosted the PGA McKenzie Tour event uh, over the past weekend. And T.T. Crouch won with a score of 23 under. Now, Leah, do we want to go back and talk about shooting 23 under scores <laughs> again? or I, I no? think we're good. We've, uh, we've touched on it. Okay, cool. And we've got some names who are uh, Alberta Golf Tour players who are coming up to play at the Alberta Mid- Mid-Amateur this weekend. That's actually on right now. From Tuesday to Thursday is the Mid-Am. Oh, wow, okay. So... Uh, yeah, just wanted to give a quick shout out to all the players. I apologize if I missed someone. I scoured this list three times, so I do apologize if I've missed anybody. But good luck and play well to all the AGT players. Razik Patel, Jordi Kerrigan, Jody LaLiberty, Chris Patterson, Mike Rowe, Rob Ferguson, Cleo Basque, David DeVere, Matt Schmermond, Tim Boston, Jason Plaus, Travis Blanchard, Matt Grossi and Greg Charpentier um, at the Alberta Mid-Am at both Stony Plain and Glendale this week. Play well, guys. Well, good luck, guys. All right, listeners, no AGT hot seat this week, but that's okay. We've got something here that we think you will enjoy. We sat down with Alberta Open champ Wes Heffernan and talked to him about the Alberta Open win the U.S. Open, and his recent week at the PGA of Canada Championship. I'm here with Calgary professional golfer Wes Heffernan. He is right now in Ontario where he just completed uh, playing at the PGA of Canada Championship. Unfortunately, it wasn't the result that he wanted, uh, but we do thank him so much for joining us. Uh, Wes, thanks for being here. Appreciate you taking the time out. Thanks for having me on, Terry. So let's talk about, uh, to start off, the PGA of Canada Championship. Uh, you went through to the, uh, to the match play round. You got into the second match yesterday, and it went a very lengthy 21 holes. Kind of take us through that last match. Yeah, it was kind of grueling. The Humidex out here right now is about 35, too. So being an Albertan, not really used to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But having said that, I played Bryn Perry, who's from BC, so he wouldn't be used to it as well. And we were joking. We were, we were two of the older guys. So to have an afternoon match in that heat to go 21 holes uh, was pretty grueling. 
to be honest, it was it was frustrating and kind of the letdown afterwards was tough because you, you put so much into those matches and and this event this year was one of the ones that I wanted to do. I wanted to win, to be honest, and mm-hmm. uh, to go up against Bryn, who's one of the best players in the country for a long time, and it was a tough match to have. Although everyone that gets in the match plays obviously a really good player, but it was kind of uh, tough to run into him in the second match. Right, that's just the way it worked out. So, I mean, a, a lot of golfers, especially those listening to the podcast, Wes, they're used to grinding out 18 holes, and, you know, and then, and then oftentimes having to take a, take a nap after they get home. What's it like playing? Because you played two matches yesterday, correct? Correct, yes. So you had the, and, and that one actually was five and four, so you played, yeah. so you yeah. played 14 holes on one, and then 21 holes on the next, um... I mean, what does that take out of a golfer and how much focus do you need to make it through those last holes when you're at the end of the day? Definitely a lot. And for me, I was I was three up through nine mm-hmm. and I played really well in the morning. So it's kind of cruising and, and I got an unfortunate break where I lost the ball just off the fairway in the rough. And it kind of turned the momentum around and then I started to get a little tight. And I think mostly because I was tired and you talked about trying to, what's it like to play 36 holes and then definitely in that heat and uh, and there's, with match play there's tends to be some more emotional swings because even though sometimes personally I try to, I try to still play the golf course but mm-hmm. it's pretty tough in match play because again you're playing your opponent and when things happen and there's swings and they make a good shot or you play a poor hole sometimes it seems to be more of a roller coaster ride in match play at the same time in match play you tend to be more aggressive more free at times just because if you just lose one hole it's not like you're gonna make a triple and, and wreck your entire round but going into the, like the final few holes i had a lead and then i kind of lost that lead and then all of a sudden i was one down on 18 and had to make a birdie and then we went extra holes in the heat and it's definitely draining and and at that time extra holes it's whoever wins that hole is going to win the match so it's you're putting a lot of effort into those last five six holes of that match for sure and then as soon as it's done it's you just kind of want to have a nap (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean you had the letdown there at the pga of canada championship but that came on the heels of your sixth win at the Alberta Open, which was held at River Spirit Golf Course here yes. in, in Calgary. Uh, take me through that. I mean, you're obviously no stranger to to winning the Alberta Open, but what did it mean this time around? It meant a lot. I haven't won since 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of went through some struggles there for a few years where I was trying to change some things that didn't really work out. And then the last few years I started to play well again and had a chance to win in 2016 and kind of uh, fell apart down the down the last few holes there and and Brett Hogan kind of swooped in and stole the championship from me there so I, I kind of had a I wanted to get back in that position again and, and win another one because I, I didn't want that taste I guess left in my mouth again from that particular event and and then that year, I had a few events where I kind of let them go. So it's kind of funny when you struggle and you start playing well again, and you kind of almost have to learn how to win again. So I haven't, I've won a few PJ of Alberta events, but I uh, haven't won an event kind of like the Alberta Open, where it's three rounds. Uh, going head to head against Riley Fleming, who's been playing really well this year and one of the most talented players I've ever seen. So to kind of, and Evan Holmes was there too, and to kind of trail them going in the back nine, and then to be able to shot five under in the back and kind of, Made, made an eagle in the last hole to kind of put a stamp on it just kind of that to come through like that finally and win a tournament again was was pretty special and you did that now again just before that you uh went to the u.s open qualifying and i believe that was in san yes. francisco correct correct yes I yeah had an Olympic club and like 
watershed in San Francisco. Right. And and so kind of take me through that process. And we'll actually get back to uh, how it may have affected your play uh, at the Alberta Open. But but yeah. kind of take us into that whole U.S. Open qualifying. I know you've you've gone through the process a number of times. You have uh-huh. you've you've qualified for the U.S. Open twice, played into the weekend back at 2011 uh, at, at Congressional. Uh, you know what, for our listeners out there who, who, I mean, clearly don't have the opportunity necessarily to play, what's it like competing in the, in that event or even just the qualification? Yeah, obviously playing the event's amazing and I've got to do it twice, but the qualification's kind of, it's, I guess they, they call it the longest day of golf and, and we just talked about me playing 35 holes or so yesterday in match play. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit different. You're playing 36 holes in a row on stroke play and on two different courses it's it's grueling and this year's been i played two different courses you had to travel through a different one and, and it was windy and cold and they're two tough golf courses so if you kind of get it going you can kind of get into that space where you just plot along keep playing well keep playing well but if you're struggling it's just really tough to get it back because even though you do have 36 holes to maybe get it back sometimes it's just it's kind of hard to get it going and once you start getting tired and you, if you make a couple bogeys it's just you kind of kind of drains it out of you and this year I, I struggled with the speed of the greens because uh, I haven't I hadn't played greens that fast this year and it took me a few holes to kind of get used to it and then it, it was almost too late where I was just chasing chasing and then when you get so far you get too far behind and start to get tired and it's just kind of run out of juice so sometimes it's it's a blessing to play 36 holes and sometimes it's just a real challenge and and the other side of the coin there is you, you can get off to a good start but kind of run out of gas sometimes and, and kind of fade down the stretch so it's definitely a unique event, and I think it's kind of perfect, kind of a perfect event to get into the US Open because the US Open itself is so grueling. Even though you don't, well, sometimes you play 36 holes based on weather, but uh, it's just kind of a different kind of golf where you're you're always on edge. Right. So let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, I know that on the podcast in the in, in the past, Leah and I have talked at, at great length about some of the course conditions and some of the, you know, the speed of the greens, you know, I mean, heck, the speed of the, the aprons and the fringe and stuff like that. And how the, you know, you make one bad shot and you you pay the price. I, I guess my question to you, Wes, is, is having played at the US Open, how do you feel about the course conditions and do they play fair or not? I definitely think Saturday this year at uh, Shinnecock was unfair. I know, I know a lot of people out there enjoy watching golfers struggle, but there's certain situations where guys, they can hit a perfect golf shot exactly how they planned. They can fly it the exact number they wanted to, maybe even curve it the way they wanted to, and it, it will end up missing the, or landing pretty close to where they wanted to, but then they're going to roll pallet and they'll go 40 yards away and Next thing they know, they make double, and I think at that point it gets to the it gets to a point where it's a little too severe. And I've, you know, so many people have been talking about it this year because nowadays with social media, you just everything blows up, right. as as you know, out of proportion sometimes. But a lot of people are talking about how, when they softened up the course for Sunday, how it plays a little bit too easy. But personally, I think Sunday was for me anyways more enjoyable to watch. There's only four guys, I think broke 68 and then Tommy Fleetwood obviously played a spectacular round yeah. I think it, for me even though I think it still played pretty tough to see a round like what Tommy Fleetwood shot is kind of a better way for golf for sure and I, I definitely could think that on Sunday it could have been a little bit tougher but just based on how Saturday played out uh, I think they sometimes just get a little too, big, too close to the edge, for sure. Now, in your experience at the U.S. Open, did you play in in some of these tough conditions where the greens were a little bit insane, where 
where you may have hit those shots you wanted and you didn't get the result you expected? Well, fortunately, I haven't, and I've always I've been trying really hard, obviously, to get back in because mm-hmm. I wanted to play an event like that because I, I played a congressional in 2011 and it absolutely poured on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, so the course was just sopping wet. So it played really long, but it, it played more like a kind of a normal tour event, and that's why. Not that Rory McIlroy 1600 wasn't amazing, but there's a lot of guys under par that week just because it was so soft. Mm-hmm. And I played again in 20, 2001 at Southern Hills, and it was more, it's a Bermuda golf course. So it's kind of a different setup where the rough's not five, six inches deep because Bermuda rough at two or three inches is ridiculously tough. And the greens there were firm, but not to the point where they got crusty and balls were going all over the place. Although... Having said that, they had to cut the ninth and 18th greens that year a little longer because in practice rounds we were hitting shots up onto the green and they'd stop and then they'd roll down 50 oh, yards wow. back into the fairway. So I got a little taste of that that year and that was the year Retief Goosen missed a really short putt on the 18th hole to win just because the greens were probably about nine and a half stamp on those two greens and the other, the rest of them were about 11 and 11 and a half. So there always seems to be something at a U.S. Open where just something happens like that for some reason and i guess that's what happens when you get so close to the edge when you set up these golf courses Mm -hmm. you went from the u.s open to the alberta open how did that prepare you for you know what you were up against i I mean i'm gonna go out on a limb and say even though the olympic course um you know wasn't set up exactly like river spirit um some of some of what you had there probably helped you in your preparation for the alberta open uh Definitely. And despite the fact that I struggled with my short game, I hit it really well and it was really windy. And I, and I actually came out of those two days knowing that I was going to play well the next time. And actually, I played, uh, I played a McKenzie Tour event in Victoria right after that between the two. Oh, okay. Um, and I finished sixth that week and played extremely well. And, and I had the lead on uh, Friday for a while. So, and just like you were saying, it just something like that always prepares you for the next thing. And I think that's the kind of a, maybe a thing for now that I'm teaching just to kind of show younger good players that sometimes even if you struggle in a tournament or if you are struggling always kind of grind it out and always use that event as experience and preparation for the next event it's great advice so now looking forward um, you had mentioned just a few moments ago that uh, you know you'd really like to get back into the US Open uh, next year it's at Pebble Beach are you are you expecting to take another run at qualification and uh, and get your chance to play at Pebble Beach so I've tried to qualify every year since yeah. I was uh, 18 years old so I missed one year but um, I've tried to qualify um, every year since then. So it's been kind of something that I, I do every year. I used to go with my dad when I was a younger amateur golfer. So it's kind of, it's definitely something that's on my schedule every, every year. Right. Well, Wes, um, I know that you've got to get back to, uh, to Calgary or I'm not sure where's your next event. Are you headed back here or? Uh, yeah, I'm headed back to Calgary. Uh, funny enough, I've played a lot of golf this month and, um, in July there's, there's nothing. So I have, all of July just uh, to uh, be at home with my family and and teach and then hopefully play some more events in August. Well, that's good. Again, Wes, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was really great to have you. Thanks, sir. Okay. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Ah, uh, yes, that was a great show. So thank you so much, Darren, and thank you all for joining us again. Please give us a shout-out. Uh, tell us what you like and don't like or want to see or don't want to see. 
on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GolfLifeAB and on the website at GolfLifeAB.com. We should have Neeler Nose back for another column this week. He said that he uh, was blanking, had a writer's block last <laughs> week. I think he was just a little bit too excited about his little boys trip to the mountains, his boys golf trip, uh, to write the column last week. He so... was probably going to pick Bubba Watson anyways. So. Oh, right. Exactly. Totally. Because he's a lefty too. So that's that'll be <laughs> his explanation, I'm sure. Um, And now he's got a a big ego today because Kananaskis reposted a slow-mo of him hitting a shot on the 14th hole from his golf trip. So we'll have to knock him down a few notches next week, and and hopefully he comes up with some fabulous material for us once again. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, thank you so much. We will see you next week. You've been listening to the Golf Life Alberta podcast.